Hi, hello, it's Josh Bowe at MadsMoneyBall.com. Thanks for listening, and I just wanted to drop in real quick before this episode got started to tell you a couple things. First, it's been about over a year since I started podcasting, just decided to grab a microphone, download some free software, Google how to edit audio, and I just kind of got rolling. And I've been doing episodes not on a weekly basis, but I've been trying to keep it weekly basis for the last year and started talking with the draft and then going all the way to Luca and Luca's rookie season. And it's been a lot of fun. Um, it's been more fun than I anticipated. Uh, definitely some long nights wondering why audio doesn't sound the way it sounds when it sounds great when you're recording, but it doesn't sound great on your computer. Uh, but it's been great. It's been worth it. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it too. I've tried hard to make the show enjoyable week to week, try to get different guests and different voices on every week because I really just love talking ball with just a variety of different people. I like getting different angles and different voices and and different takes and it's been a lot of fun. So with that in mind, you know, thank you for listening for the past year. I'm going to keep it rolling even as real life seemingly gets busier and busier every year. Uh, and every moment, every second, really. So I appreciate you guys kind of joining me on the ride. Second off, this audio that you're about to hear for this podcast is pretty old, especially on in internet uh, terms. I recorded this audio about, man, almost three weeks ago before the Dirk retirement game, the home game, uh, with TJ Macias, who you know from DallasBasketball.com and, and on Twitter and, and writing basketball at various other places. I believe she just started writing about the San Francisco Giants for the SB Nation uh, Giants team site. So she's been around the internet writing about sports in various different places. And I had her on to talk about the Kristaps Porzingis story and the the rape and extortion investigations that are still currently underway. Since that recording, obviously not a lot of news has dropped, but we just I still wanted to post this audio anyway. It kind of got lost in the shuffle as the Dirk retirement stuff hit a lot harder than I thought it would. Um, and then kind of time got away from me, you know, post Dirk and, and trying to kind of recover my emotions and, and think about that, record a podcast about the Dirk experience with Jeff uh, for his podcast and, and things kind of got away from me here. But I still wanted to post this audio because I think it's a good discussion about the Kristaps situation and an article that TJ wrote that I thought did a really good job um, expressing kind of what's going on and her viewpoints and why this story matters, even uh, as we don't really have any kind of conclusion to it yet and how we need to talk about it and why it's important to talk about it and how we should talk about it and and the terms we use and the word and the words we say that have a lot of meaning behind them. So what you're hearing is going to be some old audio. So if you hear some older references, you know, talking about Dirk retiring or talking about getting ready for the last home game, you know, I apologize. And also uh, toward the tail end of the podcast, we talk about her favorite team, the Sacramento Kings. And obviously the season was still going underway while we discussed while we were on this podcast. So that might sound a little off, but I promise you, you know, I try to tie it back into the Mavericks because I really am envious of kind of the rebuild that the Kings have done over the last couple of years and how their young core looks going forward and how that compares to the Mavericks and, and things like that. So without further ado, here's the episode with TJ Macias and we'll be back on a regular schedule with, you know, more up-to-date episodes with new guests um, throughout the month. And as we get into the off season, and hopefully we will have TJ on for a more 
timely episode uh, that it doesn't come out three weeks after we record because TJ was such a great and gracious guest and, and had some really good thoughts and it, and it was fun to talk to her about this and well i don't know fun this isn't really like a fun conversation but she's very insightful and it you know i learned a lot when i talked to her about this topic and, and it helps me kind of grow myself as a writer and as a thinker and how we think about and discuss these kind of really delicate situations uh, that seem to be popping up a lot in sports unfortunately so without further ado here it is the episode with me and tj Welcome to the Mavs Moneyball Podcast. This is Josh Bowe, one of the many editors over at MavsMoneyball.com. This week, uh, we have a special guest, first time on the podcast. We've got fellow Mavs writer who writes for DallasBasketball.com, does some King's work at Hardwood and Hollywood, and you've probably seen her writing uh, various times pop up on the internet. Uh, It's TJ Macias. TJ, how's it going? Good. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing great. It's great to have you on. I know we have been basketball writer friends slash acquaintances for for a good time now. So I'm glad I finally got you on the podcast. Yay. I know it's been like I know this is great. like five years. I think, or I've been there for. Five I know, years. right? It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to bring you on because I thought you wrote a really good piece this week uh, about the Kristaps Porzingis stuff, the investigation and the allegations and what's going on. It's been cooling off. I feel like a little bit lately, the news has kind of slowed down and we haven't really learned much more since that initial wave of news that came out. I feel like within 48 hours of, of the initial reporting of the rape allegation. And I've been trying to, to write something about it, but I just, can't i've been hitting like some major writer's block and trying to get my point out and i and i just know that i I feel feelings obviously about this story coming off the mavs really bad sexual harassment scandal and i think you wrote a lot of what i was kind of feeling and thinking in my head and you put it in a really good way um your piece semantics perzingis and the mavs power of the four-letter word uh everyone should read that on dallasbasketball.com and and, and you can check that out right now and can you kind of talk to me about what you were thinking and and why you wanted to write this piece and, and you know what you were trying to to get across well my mindset has been uh similar to yours in this case there's i mean we don't have any evidence the investigations are still going on and it seems like a bunch of different sources are coming out of different areas. So you don't know what to believe at this point. And, uh, you know, Mike Fisher put it best when he said that on both sides, it's innocent till proven guilty. And that's how we're approaching it at this time. But uh, coming off the uh, 
uh, sexual harassment scandal from last year, it's been extremely hard to ignore, especially when the story broke uh, last Saturday. And feelings, especially for people who were covering the investigation last year, it, it hit hard because here is this woman who has stepped forward and said that she was raped by Porzingis. And that is, I mean, that's a siren going off, especially with that word. And for the Mavs um, to trade for him with that looming over their heads, it's just been difficult to try to see it from a positive point of view, Um, even though there are, they're not really facts, but sources are coming forward and saying things. Obviously, they can't talk about it because of the investigation. So I tried to approach this article from a more semantics point of view, like I did with the last one, with the uh, one of the articles I did last year after the investigation wrapped. And uh, one of the main things I was focused on is the word rape. And with the us being in the me too era, that should have been the biggest red flag of all when, uh, when they were trading for Persingas, obviously one side, it was the Nick side said that one of the sources had said that only the word extortion was used. Okay. And then how come they didn't ask the question extortion for what? So try, I was trying to approach, are you, do the article in that kind of approach, looking specifically at like the semantics of it all. And so that's what I was trying to go for with that article. Yeah. And you bring up the point uh, about if the Knicks just told the Mavericks that, Hey, you know, during this trade process that Kristaps, we are currently investigating an extortion against him. And if they didn't use you know, whether or not they use the word rape or any sexual assault terminology at all, you would think the natural follow-up when you're trading for a player and the other team says, hey, just to let you know, we are investigating an extortion, a possible extortion against him. You would think the very next question would be extortion for what? You know, like, so you would think that during the process that the Mavs would, you know, at least know what is going on and, you know, even if the Knicks didn't specifically tell them, and even if for somehow it did not come up during the conversation, you've, you're using common sense. And when you think about an athlete and extortion, you know, you put two and two together and the Mavericks can, you would think they would be able to think for their themselves and say, okay, that there, there could be something icky going on behind the scenes. You know, extortion, yeah. extortion cases don't just come out of nowhere. There's usually a reason for it. Uh, and there's, there's something that the other party feels like they, you know, information that they know that they're using for the extortion. So that's how it works. And so for the Mavericks to, for the way that the story has been kind of going back and forth and, you know, at first Waj coming out and reporting that, you know, rape, the rape allegation was mentioned. And then Brad Townsend saying his sources said, no, 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 just extortion. It just, I think that's what your piece is hitting on. It's just, you know, it's semantics. Like, you know, there's a bigger issue at play here, you know, with what the Mavericks are doing and with what they're potentially signaling to the league, especially after what happened with the sexual harassment scandal. And for all we know, you know, we don't know how this is going to turn up. And for, for all we know, the next thing we hear about the story could be, 
you know, that there's no charges going to be filed against Kristaps and, and everything ends somewhat amicably, you know, from the Mavericks end. But, you know, with these kind of investigations, I don't want to like speak out of my depth here, but this, uh, the alleged rape happened uh, last year and a year between then and the allegation, uh, just, you know, from what I've seen in these cases in the past, it's really hard for investigators to go back and to find evidence and to make an eviction. So to me in my head, there's, it's two things. There's one, I'm always going to be thinking about it, even if nothing happens to yeah, Persingas exactly. and everything comes out okay. Like they'll always be thinking, well, we don't really know. It's always, you know, at this point, it's almost a he said, he said, she said situation, unless the investigators can find some more uh, hard evidence. And then, so I'm always going to be thinking of that. And then the first, yeah, the first thing I actually thought of when I saw this story was, Imagine being a woman who is working within the Mavericks organization the past 20 years and was part of the harassment and was either sexually abused or harassed while working at the Mavericks and, you know, left the Mavericks and had to change jobs and maybe change careers because of what happened to them. And imagine them, they see, you know, what happened to the organization where Mark Cuban made a donation and then basically was told, hey, you need to do better reporting. And the punishment seemed really lacking from my point of view. (laughs) Imagine seeing that. And then now seeing this, that the Mavericks have potentially traded for someone who has raped somebody and that they potentially, you know, knew about it and made the trade anyway. And it just made me really sad for, for those women in that situation, just experiencing this. And it must be bringing back some really harsh memories and, and it just all stinks. Like nothing about this is great, no matter what point of view or side you're looking exactly. at. Exactly. It. I mean, they just wrapped the the investigation in September, and they just traded for him. It's now um, April, and they're already dealing with another uh, case that could possibly be sexual assault. And so I, I just for them, I like have been flabbergasted for the past week. And uh, when I wrote this article, um, like fish, who's my editor had to call me and tell me, all right, let's, let's look at, take all these angles and look at it from this way in order to calm me down. Because when the investigation wrapped last year, I was uh, very, very agitated of especially all the details that were coming out. And then the fallout afterwards, there was some, there was a photographer that was fired. That was after the investigation had wrapped. And then he was fired after that. And he wasn't investigate. I don't think, I don't believe he was investigated during the investigation. And it happened, I think a month afterwards. And that triggered me too. And then now this is happening and I'm, it, it just, it makes me flabbergasted for victims of sexual assault, especially uh, like how you said, women who worked for the Mavs, um, the Mavs for the past 20 years when all this stuff was going on. And it's, it's really a trigger. It's horrible. Yeah. And it's, like I said, it's going to be really tough because we're not really going to know whatever happened that night, unless something, you know, another witness comes out or there's more proof that comes out. And, and, you know, the only thing I'm thinking about is I, I hope nothing happened, you know, not just for the Mavs sake, like that's like very, very down the bottom of the list. You know, just for the woman's sake and for, you know, the women that the, that worked with the Mavs that are trying to move on with their lives, it just, 
they're, they're trying to move forward. You know, I just, I hope for them that nothing happened here because this would be just another awful reminder of what they experienced the last, you know, 20 years or ever long there with the Mavs. And, you know, another thing that I feel like this brought up, not to kind of keep bouncing around the issues here, but um, when we were talking about this as a staff within our Slack, you know, we were with the way that the details have unfolded, you know, with the Mavs, it looks bad because of their past history, but really it feels like almost any other NBA team probably, you know, would have probably executed this trade. And that's, this we might not have enough time to talk about this because this is like going into like the moral ethics of like sports and business <laughs> and and this is going way over my head and my pay grade but like it just kind of made me sad just thinking like yeah other teams would have done this and you know there's fans that when this news came out they were thinking oh man the you know they might not have Porzingis next year and it's like the priorities of what we think about in terms of what actually matters and and what doesn't, it kind of maybe that kind of made me reconsider some things and think about some harsh feelings and, and and stuff like that. I don't know about you. Well, when uh, I had said, I just always simply tweeted out when the news broke was that I would be writing about the Porzingis situation. And I said, like, I forgot how I phrased it, but it was, I'd be like, I was like, yeah, I'm writing about this. And that was before I wrote my article and I was attacked just for saying those words by all, it was male fans, all male fans, even uh, apparently one of the writers for one of the fan sites, he sent a tweet that said, were you there? And uh, I was, I'm like, uh, for lack of a better word, are you fucking kidding me? And he then apologize for it saying, I don't think I meant I was in the middle of driving or whatever the excuse that he threw at me, but I, I couldn't believe that that was used as a defense for not even saying what angle I was going to take on the, on the article. I was attacked by so many Mavs fans who were all men. Like women supported me when I said I was going to do it. And I'm sitting here going, I never even said what angle I was going to take. It's there. And these were not even followers of mine. Uh, followers of mine knew kind of like how I was going to approach it, just based on how I usually approach my articles. And I mean, that was one of the like harsh things that hit me. And that's what I was telling Fish when we were on the phone call discussing the article was that like, I, I why am I getting attacked right now? Why did, why are they attacking me? They were so upset because in they're more basketball minded at this point on where the Mavs are going to go. And it's all about the team talent. They're not thinking about the fallout of women's feelings or even the fact that if this woman isn't being honest, it's going to come back and not only hurt his career because you have a ding on it. Cause that word is going to be forever associated with them. Even if he's innocent and it attacks actual survivors of rape. So it, it's just it's it's just flabbergasting to me. And especially when a lot of fans take the approach is like I'm attacking the basketball team itself. Yeah, and it's tough. That's tough for us to deal with uh, because I certainly got some of that when I wrote about the the when I criticized the team uh, during the sexual harassment scandal and their punishment. Um, I certainly got some fans that were like, well, Josh has always had it out for the Cuban and the Mavs front office because maybe I didn't like a trade that they made yeah. or, 
or I'm mad at their draft history. Like that has anything to do with how mad I would be about something that actually matters and affects people's real lives and not just, you know, sports, which, you know, pale in comparison to the, the, you know, the seriousness of some of the stuff that's been going on lately and, and this Przingis stuff. And, you know, you hit a nail on the head. You're absolutely right. You know, we, we have to talk about it and you're, it's bad either way, because like you said, if it comes out and Przingis is clear and, you know, the truth, uh, as far as we know, is that nothing happened, then, you know, you bring up the good point about how this hurts other people uh, that have been affected by sexual assault or sexual abuse and, and their credibility, because, you know, when someone lies, it kind of spoils, spoils it for the, you know, everyone else who might be telling the truth and, and, and are trying to come forward with really tough and, and hard, uh, uh, things that have happened to them in their life. And so, yeah, like it, it's, it's more than just is Przingis going to be on the floor next year yeah. and the Mavs are going to make a playoff push. There's just, there's so many layers to this and I'm surprised it's kind of cooled down uh, the last couple of days. We really haven't heard much for it. So I assume that, you know, they the extortion investigation is still fully underway and the rape allegation is still fully underway and, and the NYPD is investigating that as much as they can. So it almost feels like the next thing we're going to hear about this story is going to be whether, you know, Perzingis is going to get charged or not, or there's going to be extortion charges filed. And yeah, I would, I have to say like, uh, I hate, you know, I hate talking about this stuff. This stuff sucks. This is not, you know, it's not why I got into writing about sports, but it just, it matters. And it's, you know, it's part of the conversation and we have to talk about it and, even if it sucks and, and, you know, even if it's, you know, really gross, you know, things that we would hope would never happen, you know, it's just, it's happening and, and we got to confront it. Uh, it was a few years ago, I think when in my, my second or third season covering the Mavs, I talked, I spoke about an article how I used to work in the Hollywood industry uh, for about, God, 10 years and like everything they say about the Hollywood industry when it comes to sexual harassment and it's, it's true. And in my article, I talked about how coming into the Mavericks locker room, it became a safe space. And I, I had never experienced that before. And I felt literally safe because it was the whole, it was, Oh, it was during the election when uh, in 16, when Trump was talking about how, this is just locker room talk. Everything that he was recorded saying about women, it was just locker room talk. And I counteracted that saying, look, I've been in a locker room before and that is not locker room talk. And spoke about how the Mavs, it, that was my safe space. And then when the investigation, when all this came out and especially about Sneed, who we all stood you know, shoulder to shoulder with for years and the Mavericks knew about his background and didn't tell us or didn't let on I it felt like a violation and it unfortunately it didn't have anything to do with the players at this time uh, what went on in the locker room but Sneed was still put with us and that made me so angry especially with everything that I had gone through in LA in that industry and then to to step into this I felt violated not violated like the women were but just from lack of not knowing like they could have said something to us i mean they he had to sign a document saying that he wasn't allowed to be alone with any of the mavs uh 
uh, alone with any of the Mavs people he worked with in the Mavs. But what about other outlets, women who covered the Mavs and other media outlets? Like what, what was our protection if something happened? So when this happened and then I do believe Mark Cuban, uh, he spoke to WFAA the other day saying that he couldn't talk about it, but that they, uh, he was criticizing like we need to do our, our homework on the matter and saying they would have never have traded for someone unless they didn't have a strong indication that he was innocent. Um, so that like, it's, it's just, it's a push and pull with emotions right now, especially with, with uh, women and victims of sexual assault and especially women who are basketball fans and sports fans who are victims of sexual assault. Yeah, exactly. And, and what you were saying about being in the locker room and, and, you know, it was a breach of your trust and you know, that's a big thing. And what Keevan said, you know, in the interview, you know, that's good. You know, at least he said it. And I think the, the healthy thing I feel like, which is not out of the, the reach and what I was trying to think about when I was trying to write a, write about this, but I, I'm not sure if I will, because I don't know if I can get the words exactly right the way I want them to. But the biggest thing for me is, you know, I'm glad Cuban said, hey, you know, we wouldn't have done this if we did yeah. your homework and, you know, this yeah. was aware. I'm glad he said it. But in the meantime, healthy skepticism is there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, when you consider what the Mavs have done over the previous 20 years in regards to situations like this, my biggest thing is I don't think the team and Cuban deserves the benefit of the doubt in this type of situation. And until they prove it to me, you know, maybe they will with this situation and maybe more information will come out about how the Mavericks dotted their, uh, dotted their I's, crossed their T's and, and made sure everything looked okay before they went through with this, you know, that will help and go into rebuilding the trust. But it's it's not there yet, you know. It's only been, you know, September is when they wrapped up the sexual assault harassment uh, investigation. It hasn't even been a year, and so I don't know how much time it's going to take or what the Mavericks are going to have to specifically do to gain back that trust. But I don't think they necessarily deserve it right now, and that's not saying anyone's guilty or anyone's necessarily done something explicitly wrong. But I just feel like it's fine to have that skepticism right now until we know the Mavericks have proven without a shadow of a doubt that we can trust them on this type of stuff. Exactly. I mean, you were, you said it yourself, you're right. If another team had, uh, you know, traded for Porzingis and got him, we wouldn't be doing the same thing that we're doing now, especially with a lot of, uh, especially with him, her saying that it happened the night he tore his ACL. I mean, that was the first thing that popped up at a lot of people saying, um, okay, so this happened after the fact that he tore his ACL. And that's what's coming from sources. I mean, we don't, like, we don't know for sure what happened that night and all that. But if it had been another team who won the trade, we wouldn't be as, we would still be appalled at this, but it, the, more, the focus would be more so on Porzingis rather than the, the franchise itself who just won the trade with them. So hopefully this story will <laughs> i don't know if there's really good news necessarily that can come out of this but hopefully for our sakes you know the victim is okay and the you know hopefully nothing terrible happened and you know we'll just keep monitoring it and we'll see where it goes but it's certainly not the last we're going to hear from this story uh and any you know any time now we could hear about the next step and, and what's going to happen but let's take a break right now and tj when we come back 
let's talk about your Sacramento Kings on a Mavericks podcast. Yay! Okay, we'll be right back. Okay, and we're back with TJ Macias, uh, one of uh, the many Mavs writers that covers the team uh, for DallasBasketball.com mainly, and you've probably seen her work at other places around the web and uh, and on Twitter. We are going to shift gears, and we're going to talk about TJ's favorite team and a team that she's covered in the past. We're going to talk about the Sacramento Kings, and yes, this is a Mavericks podcast, but there are only... uh, three, two games left with the Mavericks and the Mavericks stink and they have nothing to play for. And there's nothing really interesting happening because Luca is even sitting out some games right now. So this is my podcast and this is just what we're going to do. And I'm actually to tie it back into the Mavs. I wanted to talk about the Kings because I think they're a nice, they're a nice way to look at maybe what the Mavericks want to be when they're rebuilding and maybe what they wanted to be this season, but it didn't happen. And I think the Kings are a good barometer of where the Mavericks should be, you know, looking toward in terms of rebuilding and restocking with young talent and and things like that. And the Mavericks have all obviously taken some steps, you know, by getting Luca and by clearing out some of the older veterans to get some cap space. But I've just been really smitten with the Kings, and I don't get to watch as much non-Mavericks basketball as I used to, uh, just as my life gets crazier and hectic and more busy with my real job and, and all that other stuff. But every time I turned on the Kings, they were so much fun to watch. You know, they were one of the fastest teams in the league. You know, they play at such a great pace and Darren Fox is so much fun and they've got a nice core of young guys. And uh, Dave Yeager, the coach is, he seems like he has a good grip on the team and it just came together. It was just really fun to watch. And, and TJ, I'm assuming as a, as more of a fan and uh, and someone who watches the team way more than I do, I can imagine it's like that, but times ten, right? Yes, we like we haven't been this excited in over ten years, and like there was, we hit a hard bump for a lot of us when uh, Boogie was traded, and I remember when that went down, and I I actually cried. I'll admit it, and I was depressed when that happened, and it kind of. It, with everything that was going on with the front office at the time and how screwed up the front office has been for so many years, this year was such a breath of fresh air, but at the same time, it was torture, especially during the last, last few games when we were trying to make the playoff push and we were blowing big leads. We'd have like a 30 point lead in one game and then we'd blow it in the final, uh, the second half. And it was, it just, it felt like it was ripping apart our hearts. Um, but there was so much, uh, there was a lot of drama happening when we, when they ended up drafting Bagley over Luca. Um, not a lot of fans were happy. And of course, when I would walk into the Mavs press box, I get so much shit for the way the Kings handled that trade. And I remember being upset, but Bagley has like exceeded our expectations in that department. And he fits so well with the team. And like, it's, it's been an insane year and it's been so good that even though we're not in the playoffs, we are so looking forward to next season. It's not even funny. Yeah. And the Bagley Luca thing is really interesting because yeah, you know, it was, like you said, it was very much very questionable when it happened. And especially with what, you know, the Kings were needing and 
but Bagley, he has been awesome. Uh, I yeah. was I was very hot and cold on him during the draft process because I was very worried about how he would stay on the floor defensively because he was such you know he wasn't necessarily like a rim protector as a as a five, but he couldn't really stretch the floor or guard wings as a four. So I was like, where does yeah. he fit defensively? And is you know is, how is that is that is his offense really going to make up enough for that? And it didn't. Not only has his offense been enough to make up for it, his defense hasn't really been that, you know, it's been improving. I feel like every month he gets a little bit better. And he, yeah, like you said, he fits in so well with what they want to do. And he's been such a great outlet for Fox and being able to dive and, and, and take up space rolling down the lane and, and attacking the offensive glass and, and being a guy that can finish plays off Fox's penetration. He's fit in like a glove and he's, yeah. Uh, I think he's been quietly one of the best. I don't know if it's quietly, you know, I think, I think a lot of people that are watching the NBA know that he's been pretty good now for, for a couple of months, but he feels like he's one of the best five rookies and, and really, you know, maybe the Kings would be a little bit better with Doncic. We don't really know, but they seem to have more of an identity with Bagley. Yes. Uh, mixing with Fox and and they seem to know what they want to do, you know, with their core going forward. Yeah, because one of the big concerns was that would would Luca fit in with Fox, and that was one of the main concerns. But uh, with Bagley, it's it's just a whole different story, and it's it's like writing itself like a fairy tale almost. Uh, we're still, you know, we're hoping to make it into the playoffs next season. You know, if we're able to draft, not draft, I'm sorry, uh, get like maybe uh, if we don't, what it depends on what goes down with. Uh, Willie at this point at center. Um, there's been like a lot of fans who criticize his defense and everything and wondering like what the Kings are going to offer him in terms of uh, him staying with Sacramento. And, but our, like what our concern in the off season coming up is, you know, um, getting a backup point guard for Fox and, if Willie's doesn't stay, you know, getting a starting five. Cause I mean, it was discussed that, you know, if Bagley moved over to the five uh, permanently and, um, but it's like, we want to keep him. We just want to keep playing. We want a good starting five. If Willie is not in the picture come next year. Yeah. And that is interesting. That Willie decision is going to be a big deal. And, you know, you've got you got kind of a log jam with bigs because you've got Bagley and you've got Harry Giles and yeah. you've got Belicia. I gotta probably just said his name wrong. I can never pronounce his last name. Uh, and you know Barnes who can play four and Bagley and Stein who can play the five. So yeah, it, I almost wonder. Do you think the team would be better off letting Collie Stein walk and then just starting Bagley and Giles at the four and the five? Or do you honestly, think? Honestly, that's where my mindset is at this current time. Um, like fives, like there's, of course, there's um, talk when DeMarcus Cousins becomes available again. Uh, if he would go back, there's been so many jokes going around in Sacramento about him coming back. And then of course you got the whole Kevin Durant drama. And it, it just always cracks me up listening to what, like, especially my friends and a lot of people at uh, Sacktown royalty to talk about when joking about getting Durant to come to Sacramento, because I mean, a few years ago, we would not even be on anybody's radar. And now 
especially with Fox and the, the young core, we're suddenly on everybody's radar again. And it's, it's a really good feeling. But to get like massive superstars coming there, we're still a few years off, I think, a couple years off. And I, I doubt DeMarcus would ever come back, honestly, just based off the front office and all the drama that went down there. But some yeah. fans are still holding out hope. Yeah, I would say that bridge is sufficiently <laughs> burned, to say it lightly. But uh, yeah, crazier things have happened. But um, yeah, man, I just like, you know, just having you on the podcast just gave me an opportunity to talk about this team. And I really feel like the Mavericks, I think the Mavericks thought they would be where the Kings were this year, you know, before the season started a team that was chasing the eighth seed for most of the year and even maybe coming up short. And to be honest, this is kind of where I thought the Mavericks would be myself. I thought they'd be hovering between, you know, somewhere around 38 wins. The Kings are at 39 with two games left. So that's pretty close to what I thought the Mavs would be. And obviously the it didn't work out, and the Mav, that Mavs starting five was one of the worst starting fives in the NBA, and they had to blow it up and, and make some moves for the future. But it really, it, I, I'm really surprised that, you know, coming into this season, I would not have said that the Kings are ahead of the Mavericks in terms of rebuild, but it just, you look down the, the lineup and you just see quality guys like, you know, Fox and Heald and Bagley and... Bogdanovich and now Harrison Barnes who's solid and Belicia and you know they've got they have a solid uh you know veteran in, in Kufus uh coming off the bench and Collie Stein even with his inconsistencies you know he's still you know he's still a rotation guy for just about every team in this in this league you know I know Kings fans have their their warts with him but the roster is just filled with so many solid guys and you hope I guess the hope is can Fox take like another like all-star step because that's what it kind of feels like the next step for you guys is you need someone in this roster or you have to bring someone in who can kind of hit that all-star kind of level that type of player right yeah that's what we put all our hopes right at this point on fox at this point for for that that specific game yeah and he he seems like he's up to the task i mean he's been one of the he's his jump from last year to this year has been been pretty remarkable so i know not all development in the nba is as linear as what fox is doing right now but if he can keep on that path uh keep improving his shot and his scoring you know he's already got he's already a good defensive player and his passing seems to be right there you know it seems like it could happen for him next year yeah that's what that it's starting to look like that's the path he's on and that's what especially fans are just are hoping for. And so every time like he looks like he has tweaked something, everyone just like collectively loses their shit. And we all go crazy in Sacramento because we haven't had this feeling for so many years. And to come so close in like the 2001 um, 02 season and then just to have it slip from our fingers, it, it, it seriously been gnawing at us for so many years and this was the first year that we're just like holy shit we have we have something here and it's growing and it's it in the next like couple years it's going to be huge yeah i mean even if you guys don't do anything this summer i know there are going to be some big decisions but you know fox is still young and healed is 26 and and you know bagley is gonna get better so 
you know, Bogdanovich is still pretty young. So there's still, you know, even if you guys don't do anything, you would assume that you're, you're going to be even better next year, but you know, you'll have some options this summer. And I want to talk about before we go, cause this will kind of tie back to the Mavs, but what has been, what's it been like, you know, writing about Harrison Barnes for them for a Mavs site. And then he's now on your team. And so what he does actually kind of affects you personally more than you, more than before. How has that experience been like? Well, I always, I always liked Harrison Barnes when he was here. I mean, especially from his uh, locker room persona. So I knew that going into when he would step into that locker room, he would be like, uh, he'd be a good locker room leader for that young team. And, but I, like, I remember telling uh, some of my friends over there, I was like, "Ah," I was kind of unsure about it. Um, Him on the court, uh, mixing in with there, uh, over there. And like, he has just amazed me fitting into Sacramento. I was like, what the hell? I was, I was actually really surprised at how well he fit in and how well he's doing over there too. And I'm like, Oh, well, Holy shit. I mean, obviously it was meant to be in that case. And it's, it was just always, it was bizarre going from seeing him in a Mavericks uniform to seeing him in a Kings uniform. That's always been weird for me. And it, it almost seems like the past couple of years, the Sacramento Kings have been like a Mavericks graveyard of sorts and then them switching off. And when Justin Jackson uh, came over to the Mavs for Barnes and it, it, it just kind of confuses me a little bit when I see them in their separate uniforms, but Barnes feels, Barn feels good over in Sacramento. That's great. Um, I know he still has his quirks that he had in Dallas that I'm sure you wish that yeah. he could fix in Sacramento. And there's going to be a big decision on him. If he opts into his contract, then you get him for another year. But if he, Ops out. That's going to be a big deal. You know, I, that's do the Kings want to bring him back on a good number or does he want to be in Sacramento? And so that'll be very interesting. That's probably going to be one of the bigger parts of the Kings off season this summer is what Barnes does and reacting to what he does uh, and going forward. But yeah, I'm just jealous. I'm jealous of the Kings right now. And I think uh, I've seen this written about it by a couple of people, you know, I'd seen it on Twitter and it's a good sentiment. Uh, this is probably the most, like one of the best parts of watching a team. Like this part, the part where they kind of surprise you and they kind of take that next step, but they're not all the way there yet. And it felt like everything that happened this season for the Kings was just like, you're playing with house money. Like we didn't expect this. This is just fun. It doesn't matter if they don't make the playoffs because we didn't expect them to get this close anyway. And there's so much hope surrounding the team. And now next, like now, like now you guys have some expectations. So now if they, if they win 38 games next year, you're probably going to be a little bummed. So. Oh yeah. It's going to, we're going to get off. Like we're going to start getting a hangover at that point when it comes to coming down from the high, if they do manage to hit that wall. Um, But right now we're just enjoying the fact that they're, they're this good and their future is that bright. Yeah. Well, I hope the Mavericks can be better next year because I would love to see the Dallas Sacramento rivalry kind of restored because that's where I really became a big NBA fan just in general were those Mavs Kings playoff games. Oh my gosh. Over 10 years ago now, 13 years ago, pretty much. No, 16 years ago, right? 2003 was last. Yeah. When they played in the semifinals, semifinals in the Western conference in the 2002, I remember it's like the first time I was ever really introduced to Dirk 
Uh-huh. And I, I have this one memory, I believe it was game five of that, uh, that conference. And it, I think it was at Arco Arena. I can't remember which one was, but he was walking up the court and all the fans, it, the game was going to, it was clear that the, uh, the Kings were going to win at that point. And the Kings just started cheering uh, beat LA, which was the chant because we were going to face them in the next round. And like Dirk's facial expression was like, okay, the game's not even done yet. <laughs> and here goes the Sacramento Kings fan base, just starting this full on blasting chant to send the Mavs on their way. And I just, that that's like my first memory that I have of Dirk. <laughs> well, yeah, for, for, for on our end, that was a little bit, that was a little sad, but on y'all end, it was pretty good. Well, I, I guess it kind of came up that next round, but we don't have to talk about that next round. We're not, <laughs> we're not digging up those demons. No. Uh, actually, I think this is good, uh, good stopping point. And TJ, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and discussing your article and, and what's going on with the Mavs. Uh, it's always great to have your perspective, you know, whether you're on this podcast or you're doing your writing, it's just, it's a good to have your voice out there um, speaking up for people that might not are always spoken for or thinking about these types of things. And it's good to have your perspective. And I always enjoy reading your work, even if it's, you know, even in other, other topics <laughs> besides what's going on right now. Uh, so I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you coming on. Uh, this has been fun. Thank you so much for having me, Josh. Yeah. And we will, I'll sure we will, we will do this again sometime in the future. Maybe if Mavs Kings are a, is a playoff series next year, we'll do that for sure. Oh, hell yes. Uh, <laughs> so with that uh we're gonna wrap it up here and this has been the Maz Moneyball podcast and we will see you guys next week <laughs>